This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. While mental health issues are impacting a larger number of kids, teens, and young adults, 70% go untreated. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death in our teens behind accidents. No one hears me. No one takes me seriously. That's what we're hearing. Well, it's time to start listening. Youth and mental health right now on The Happy Molecule. Hey there, welcome to The Happy Molecule. I'm Kevin Frankish. Of course, we know about the dramatic rise in mental health issues, but did you know the vast majority of depression and traumatic events that quite often trigger depression happen when we're kids? Why then are we seemingly ignoring the current crisis in mental health in our youth? They see and hear a lot more than we recognize, sadly, they tend to bury these feelings until they come out years later. We don't teach kids how to recognize stress and anxiety or trauma. We don't teach them ways to deal with these. We see kids as resilient when in actuality they are much more vulnerable and affected by things than most adults. Later, we're going to meet two inspirational teens from British Columbia out to change the world of mental health for their peers. But let's start with Cheryl Boswell. She is the Executive Director of Youth Mental Health Canada, YMHC, based out of Hamilton. Hello, Cheryl. Hi, how are you? I am well. The question is, how are our youth? Paint me a picture of, of where we are today, right now, and the state of the mental health of our youth and young adults. It's a good question. Um, I think that there's just so many challenges that, uh, you know, in spite of the pandemic. So that's just one extra thing that some people are managing well, some people are managing, and some people are, are struggling. Um, so people, you know, we don't give youth enough credit to say, well, you know, people adjust and people adapt and people find new ways. And, and also school has been a big vehicle um, of anxiety for a lot of students. Uh, it's a source of, uh, you know, a lot of the kinds of mental health challenges that young people face. So going to online learning and minimizing or reducing the number of challenges that people face, um, you know, is a positive for a number of students. But I, I just think that when we look at all of the challenges facing young people, um, all the kinds of issues that impact people's lives, whatever age they are, impact youth and do impact their mental health and wellness. Their, it, it, mental health and uh, wellness is not isolated from what happens in people's lives. So there's been so many kinds of social issues that people uh, deal with in their lives, whether it's homelessness, food insecurity, job insecurity, you know, and that's been exasperated because of the pandemic and that impacts the family. Um, you know, um, 
issues of racism, of, of all kinds of different forms of discrimination, homophobia, transphobia, um, just so many issues impacting young people and the level of competition that exists in schools, the pressures um, to, uh, you know, that are required to get through high school, to get into a college or a university. These are very different kinds of pressures that young people face, very different from other generations of the past. And, and they're, on top of all that, they're, they're faced with home ownership or, or, or earning a salary, you know, in, in both cases, they're, you know, the stats are showing they're not going to be as fortunate as their parents were, the, the generations before them, that they're, they're, they don't have the same opportunities. Yeah, I, you know, interestingly, if we just look at post-secondary students, uh, you know, previously the supports that are available for in, in post-secondary schools were for students who were identified with permanent disabilities, mental health disabilities. Uh, now, with all the pressures on young people, on students uh, who are balancing um, family, uh, friends, so peer network, which is a really critical component of protective factors, jobs, placements, you know, most courses now or programs have placements, internships, um, and school. And all those pressures combined, um, whether it's stress management, whether they're mental health challenges that were diagnosed earlier, or just, um, you know, started to uh, present in post-secondary schools, there's a lot that students are facing. And so the increasing demand for uh, supports to help students manage what is a, a real pressure cooker um, for all students, all students. So the number of students who are experiencing huge levels of anxiety, um, it's, it's just enormous. And we, we can just assume that all students, post-secondary students, have challenges that, uh, that they need support for in whatever way. What is the state of mental health care available right now in, in Canada, in North America? What is the state? What are we offering? And what do we need to do better? Okay, that's a good question and a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we do, uh, you know, really uh, have, we talk a good talk. We talk, you know, we say, reach out, we say, here's the support. And when people do reach out and, when, and you know, whether it's young people or their families advocating on behalf of their children um, and are just met with uh, real barriers to accessing anything um, and, you know, being on wait lists for a year or more, um, having closed doors, you, you know, being told, okay, after five, if it's an emergency, go to your nearest ER, emergency department, um, and then sitting there for up to 10 hours and not seeing anyone and not being referred and being told there's nothing available and feeling continually like you are a burden, that, um, you know, that, uh, so you do all the right things. And then nothing is available. And what kind of messages does this send 
to to young people, to families who are really trying their best to support their children, but also afraid for the the lives of their children. You know, is this going to be the day that the the child can't wait any longer? Is struggling and what you know, and how long can they struggle? How long can they hold on? That shouldn't exist. Um, these kinds of health issues that impact everything in life. So there is no education without health. And mental health is a critical component of how, uh, you know, all health issues. So it affects every part of the body. It's not, not just mental, you know, uh, the physical is, is involved, but we don't respect the brain. We don't acknowledge the importance of mental health. And so that's reflected in funding and supports and transparency and accountability in um, access. So who's trying to access publicly funded mental health supports and services? People without the privilege to pay themselves. And mental health care is costly. When you're paying for psychological educational assessments, you're paying for counseling and therapy, you're paying for tutoring, you're paying for you know, all kinds of supports that can help your child manage access and education, manage the education, function in society and be an active part of our society that, you know, a person who's valued and understands that they have an important place in society and the kind of messages that we're giving by not providing equitable access say quite the opposite. Let's be extremely frank here and, and open. And we're going to talk about something that people don't like to talk about, especially when it comes to young people and they don't think they should be exposed to it. You use the terminology, what happens when a child can't wait any longer, apparently. Mm-hmm. We're talking about suicide. Right. That, I mean, that, that's what we're saying. Everyone's afraid to say it and they don't want to expose their kids to the topic. But we're hearing such incredible stats that it's the second leading cause of death behind accidents for our teenagers. Yeah. So what is the failure there? I, I think as a society, we have to be really frank <laughs> in your words. Yeah. We have to really, you know, say, say it is as it is. We are adding to the stigma, to the taboos that are creating these kinds of issues that people are afraid to disclose, are afraid to, you know, and we're increasing risk factors by not talking about these issues. Um, This is the culture we live in. This is the reality. We have professionals, education, healthcare professionals who work with young people who are adding to that stigma by not dealing with young people who are struggling, not talking openly and honestly, you know, about these kinds of life, health, death issues. People have problems in living. This is a reality of life and society. And if we can't come to terms with that, and I prefer, you know, in the United States, they have big suicide prevention campaigns and they talk openly and honestly, and it hasn't decreased the number of suicides. In fact, the number has gone up and they don't talk that much about mental health. In Canada, we only talk about mental health and wellness, and we have many more suicides than the United States. So what does it tell you? That we need to start to be, 
to be more honest with ourselves about what's going on and and um, be there not crying when there's suicides when a young person dies it's tragic and but if we're not responding while they're struggling then it you know it's sort of we are increasing risk factors for suicide and that is the reality so all the lack of action lack of talk lack of support increases risk, risk factors so that as a society we have a part to play in reducing risk factors and creating more protective factors and being the kind of healthy society that talks openly and honestly about these issues contributes to protective factors. We all have a role in creating the kind of com community that supports young people and their families. And I want to add families because you cannot just keep um, isolating youth you know, mm. <laughs> that, that this is a package sort of thing that uh, youth and their families need support. Um, and we, we do that by listening to people, validating and providing the kinds of needs-based supports that are required in schools, in, in whatever settings are required. It's interesting you bring up schools because in a survey I did, and that's a smaller, smaller sample size, of course, but I asked the question, if you have needed mental health help, who or what have you reached out to? Where have you gone? Mm -hmm. Number one answer was doctor or other health professional. Good. All right. So I want, you know, that that's good. Mm -hmm. Next was parents and family. Mm -hmm. Next should have been schools and it wasn't. Yeah. Friends, you know, mm -hmm. almost, almost three to one. So people are going to their friends before they're even going to their teacher, their guidance counselor, or I know. whoever within a school. And they spend most of their day in schools. So you would think that, I mean, if we're going to normalize the conversation, if we're going to increase mental health awareness, education, challenge stigmas and discrimination, respect the brain, brain health, brain needs, brain and learning differences, it would happen in schools. And so many times we see that that's not happening. And I think it's not happening for um, many, many reasons. One of it is that people feel, oh, it's all about funding. That if we don't have the funding for extra supports, we can't provide support. But compassion doesn't require funding. It requires trusted adults, uh, people uh, uh, creating sort of support networks building a sense of community, connection, belonging. There's some great research from the United States, and I use these two, you know, base, this is the foundation of protective factors. And the research about suicides continually tells us that having a thwarted sense of, uh, sorry, a perceived sense of burdenness. So you feel you're a burden. You feel you're a burden. And you don't have a sense of belonging, that you, you feel all alone and you feel isolated and that nobody cares. Those things really we need to challenge and schools need to do much better. One of the things I found uh, on social media is that, and I know this from being an educator, is that educators do not receive youth mental health training. So here you are working with young people and you have not received 
any training in youth mental health. Who provides that training? Youth Mental Health Canada does. So last year I did 10 week training courses that were, you know, it was open for professionals, families, educators across Canada and uh, United States. Um, but that kind of training doesn't, you need an educator, you need someone with a background in youth mental health. Um, and there's not many people uh, available to provide that kind of training that really can look at how you infuse it, how you integrate that into the education system. So having more resources, but also understanding that this is not just wait for students to struggle. This is looking at pro being proactive, not reactive. And how can we provide support to all students, to all families, to all educators from elementary to post-secondary? So that's why I really felt that the mental wellness resources that I wrote were really important that we were identifying that these are tools for wellness. And when we create mental wellness action plans, for all students. We don't wait till they're struggling and then create a, what's normally called a safety contract. So you're sort of, you know, uh, identifying what you'll do if you're struggling, suicidal, whatever. I think what we need to do is when people are functioning and they're well, create a mental wellness action plan that says, okay, if I'm struggling, here's some apps, here's some um, people that I can identify that I can reach out to, here's what I can do, here's the triggers for me that make it difficult to, to manage um, emotionally, mentally, whatever. Um, you know, all those kinds of things work together to support. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we, I mean, I really believe in having a, a mandatory credit course, uh, you know, elementary to post-secondary mental health credit course, that you need to take this credit course to really um, understand the supports for you in the schools. We don't identify who does what in schools when you say reach out and people don't know who they can reach out to. So we're not transparent in systems saying, well, there's this social worker, this is th their job responsibilities, you can reach out if you need help with this. So who is it in your school? Who's the psychologist? Who's the child and youth care worker? All of those roles are really important, but also the supports in the community. So if you're going to, or post-secondary, there's different kinds of supports available across Canada. So identifying who those people are is really important. When we, when we picture, you know, in general, we always like to stereotype. So when we think about mental health and youth, we're thinking, you know, I think in the most part, we're thinking about older teenagers, teenage angst. Uh, they're worried about, uh, about acne and they're worried about, you know, who likes them, who doesn't. I mean, that's the picture we get of kids' mental health. But mental health problems in kids aren't just some, you know, aren't just that, aren't just confined to that. They, they go much deeper, but they also start much younger. I think people might be surprised at how young mental health issues can actually start. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's so there's other components of that. So when we look at adverse childhood experiences, so people are starting to do more work on what are called the ACEs, <laughs> adverse childhood. So and that relates to trauma. And the research clearly indicates for young people and for adults, the majority of people have had 
very traumatic experiences, whether it was birth trauma. And so you can identify infant child mental health from maybe birth trauma, medical errors, life trauma, the kinds of, you know, increase of life trauma, number of families who have been separated, who, you know, change of the family dynamics, um, you know, all those kinds of things, depending on individuals and how they manage um, can be traumatic experiences. Uh, and, and of course, intergenerational trauma. So we talk about that intergenerational a lot from the indigenous perspective, but it's not confined to an indigenous uh, experience that you know, other kinds of families um, can have experiences of generations of poverty, abuse, and a pattern that continues. When we were speaking earlier, we were talking about people contacting um, uh, the uh, Youth Mental Health Canada uh, about suicide. And, and you were saying that you're actually getting calls and inquiries from, from kids as young as 10 years old. Oh, younger. 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 Yeah, oh, younger. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I mean, you know, I... Uh, we're not a crisis organization. And uh, should, but when you I want to point that out too, that, that you're not a crisis organization. You're not going to turn anyone away and, and you'll try and guide them the right way. But I just want to make absolutely sure that all the cards are on the table here. Just very transparent. Yeah, that's great. Cause there yeah. might be an increase in phone yeah. calls. I, I mean, and that's something that we talk about when we, you know, provide what we do and, and looking at, you know, moving on, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I've supported work with families who've had, uh, you know, young people seven and eight uh, talking about suicide, making suicide attempts. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wow. is real. It's very real. Um, you know, families that have not been supported by healthcare professionals in their community and uh, misdiagnosed, undiagnosed, um, no support. And so, uh, I've worked with a lot of families across Canada. It is, uh, um, you know, uh, all of us are volunteers at YMHC. Um, and it's just, um, you know, uh, I, I, I believe that all families need an advocate. So somebody outside of the family who will work with them to create the kind of education support teams that are necessary because you can't do it alone as a family trying to navigate what, you know, and uh, mental health is organized as silos. So they don't communicate, they don't coordinate resources. And so every time you talk to a silo, you have to repeat the same information. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, having an advocate, somebody who will work with you to support you and, uh, you know, make, uh, make a difference can help. So let's talk about YMHC, Youth, um, uh, Youth Mental Health Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? What, what can young people expect when they get in touch with you and how do they get in touch with you? Okay. Um, well, we are always, I, I mean, last year there was a flood of volunteers because of the pandemic. Um, so P, especially post-secondary students were looking for ways to stay active. Um, a lot of them lost job opportunities. Um, but if you remember the federal uh, student grant was announced <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then very quickly uh, forgotten with the WE uh, program, uh, WE focus. But uh, yeah, so, uh, and, you know, as I mentioned, we're inclusive. So we are volunteers of all ages and uh, all backgrounds and uh, from across Canada and internationally. So uh, what we do is continually 
um, evolving. I mean, if, if, in, if volunteers have interest in doing something new, adding a new resource or whatever, I, you know, I think that's great. Um, we're working on a number of resources this year. Um, we've added digital information and pamphlets on the website. So they're free downloads. Um, soon we'll have multilingual resources on the website. So I think that'll be fantastic because you can't, I don't, I haven't seen ever, and I'm on all social media platforms, uh, multilingual resources about mental health, ethnocultural groups, you know, really that that's a valuable skill for volunteers to have is that they are able to translate materials and make information more accessible, but also for ethnocultural groups in Canada and internationally. Um, we have, um, what else? So we'll have, as I mentioned, new resources and a mental health and wellness acti activity book, which I think will be great for families and educators. And, and these uh, are books, these are books actually you've written. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, the activity them, book yeah. is, yeah, so the activity book is of some placement students. I had a group of seven that they just did some amazing work. Um, and so I'll be adding to it and other volunteers. But the I wrote one last year. I wrote a COVID mental uh, creative journal workbook last year. I think it's an excellent book. Um, all of the um, books that I've written incorporate best practices in mental health. So that's CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, and social emotional learning. Those, you know, so self and emotional awareness, uh, looking at problem solving, decision making, goal setting, stress management, um, all those kinds of things to help people manage. Um, what else? Uh, we're doing uh, free Wednesday workshops. So we're now doing Zoom Facebook Live workshops. Yeah. Um, we have a blog. We have an English and French newsletter um, that uh, and Insta Live chats. Um, you know, all kinds of ways that we're looking at to communicate this. Uh, you know, information about mental health and wellness in sort of innovative ways, in ways that uh, increase education, support, advocacy, change, that kind of thing. All right. So I will have links to the books where you can get them on my website, thehappymolecule.com and click on links. So it's thehappymolecule.com slash links. If you want to go directly there, you can also just simply go to ymhc.ngo. So that uh, stands for Youth Mental Health Canada, ymhc.ngo for more information. Um, thank goodness that you're there. I, 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 you know, I'm sure that many people feel that way and uh, uh, just want to suggest you keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Right. Thank you. I mean, I think the stats speak for themselves when we see, you know, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, one suicide is too many. And in Canada, the average 446 young people aged 10 to 24 die every year by suicide. We're not doing enough. And all of us have responsibility and being a part of the change that's needed to support young people, their lives, their health, their educations, and their futures. And, and this is something that we all need to take responsibility for. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. But communication is still a huge gap between adults and youth, especially when it comes to mental health. We don't know what to say to each other or for that matter, how to listen. 
Some of the answers to the problem are going to come from youth themselves. Meet Ella Podolsky and Anna Huber, grade 11 students from Maple Ridge Secondary and Thomas Haney's Secondary, respectively. They want to give kids and teens a voice and an ear with UPlan. It's a group they formed. I speak with them from their homes in Maple Ridge, just outside of Vancouver. Hello, ladies. Thank you very much for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. Can you tell me a little bit about the group? It's called UPlan, the letter UPlan. Ella. Yeah, so basically what we are is we're a youth advocacy group in our community. Um, We focus on providing initiatives and events for um, teens in our area so that they can kind of have more of a voice. Um, Yeah. And and mental health now is the latest project that you're undertaking. That's a huge project, Anna. First of all, why? Yeah, well... I know that everyone has, mental health is really important for everyone, but um, especially for youth, there's not a lot of resources out there. Um, I know they try to address it in schools, but it just, it's really not what it needs to be. So we're just trying to make it a part of plan, So that way, like Ella said, youth can have a voice. And also just so they know that there are resources out there and that they're not alone. What do you hope to accomplish in, in the long run? What do you hope to accomplish? We just want to bring some more awareness to youth mental health specifically, because like I said, it's, it's very um, under addressed. So we just want to bring more awareness to it. And in the long run, we're hoping that um, we can kind of change the narrative around it. That way youth um, are able to know some more resources that are out there for them. Are you able to tell me, Ella, what the feeling is among the, the youth in, in your community of, of, of Maple Ridge. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are people talking about when it comes to their mental health? Um, I know, I know for sure that mental health has definitely lost some of the stigma. I know a lot of my friends, um, like none of us are afraid of talking about what we're going through. And I think that's really important. And definitely something newer with this newer generation. Um, I know like my parents would never have been able to talk about these kinds of things with their friends. Um, And like to this day, so many people, like it's, it's crazy that it's just something that has been so hush hush for so long. Um, And so I definitely think there's a positive change there, but there's still so far we need to go um, to kind of destigmatize mental health and, be able to have an open dialogue about it. Anna, do you do you feel you're well aware of what mental health help is available that, and, and that others your age are aware that mental health is available and mental health health is mental health help. There you go. Uh, is available and and are they willing to reach out? Yeah, I would say that I I am pretty well aware of what's out there. Um, I, if I was ever like in a, a really bad position and I needed to reach out, I would know which numbers to call, which websites to visit, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I definitely do think that I could become even more aware and that there is so much more out there that I don't know about. And um, I can only speak on behalf of myself. I'm not, I don't know about uh, the other youth in my community. Um, I'm sure that there's so many more youth out there that that really don't know what's out there for them. Ella, are you able, 
or, or anybody in your class able to really identify depression? And do you feel that, that that is talked about very much? Definitely not enough. Um, I think like everyone kind of knows what depression is. Um, but I do think the term is used too loosely. Um, I think a lot of people will kind of have a couple of bad days and self-diagnose themselves with depression instead of really understanding what depression looks like, what it feels like, what it means to be going through something as horrible as depression. Um, yeah, I think getting a really exact definition would be hard for a lot of people my age. So anxiety, stress, uh, all of these things, you, you think that should be talked about a little more often. Is it part of the curriculum right now? Mental health? Um, not, I, not in my experience. Um, I know a lot of schools have um, different kind of initiatives that they'll bring in. They'll have guest speakers or whatnot, um, which is great. But I do think it needs to be more centralized and more bigger part a bigger part of our curriculum and what we're learning about because one in four people will have some sort of mental health struggle in their lifetime and to not talk about it like any type of other illness that needs to be addressed is not going to be healthy or helpful for anyone i'm going to talk about something that's it's a very serious topic and, and it you know when when i was your age i you know it's not something really that we talked about not suicide and we know that, that suicide is, after accidents, is the leading cause of death with teenagers. How do you, how do you get your head around that? How, how do you, you and your friends and, and the other students think about that? Yeah, I think it's extreme. It's, for me, it's really hard to wrap my head around. Like, it's just such a horrible, terrible thing for to happen to someone that it's really hard for me to even think about or to begin to understand. But um, yeah, that's my, that's my personal feelings with it. Ella, what, what, what comes to mind when the subject of suicide comes up? Is, is it something that's discussed at all? I don't, I think that kind of portion of mental health and depression and anxiety or stress or anything at all leading causes to suicide. Um, that kind of portion of it is kind of left unsaid. I think it's always in the room, but it's never something anyone brings up because if you don't want to, it does still have such a stigma around it. It's still looked at as a selfish thing for a lot of people, which is so untrue. Um, and so, yeah, I think people are afraid to bring that up because they'll look, they're afraid of being looked at like they're overreacting or their problems aren't as big as others when in reality, that's not true at all. Do you think that maybe we should talk about it more in school, out in the open? For sure, yeah. No, I think all we can do about these kinds of things is talk about it more and hope that it decreases any type of fear or uncomfortable uncomfortableness. I can't even think of a word for that right now. <laughs> that, that's um, a good word. <laughs> that it might 
cause in people and I think talking about it with in a delicate lens obviously we don't want to upset anyone um because so many people have been personally affected by suicide that it just it needs to be talked about more Anna same question do you think it's something that should be discussed more absolutely absolutely I think Ella hit it right on because she's like she said we we hear lots about anxiety we hear lots about depression and we hear lots about people just having really bad mental health days but suicide in like suicide specifically it really is not addressed as much as it needs to be or at all in in lots of circumstances so like Ella said I think just you know, talking about it more and, and letting people know that they're not alone. This is something real. This is something that lots of people are thinking about or having to deal with in, in some way or another. I think just getting the word out there and spreading more information is what we definitely need to do. Wow. You just said something that, I mean, bang on. And that was, you are not alone. I mean, that is the message that we need to get out there when it comes to mental health. Let's talk about that. Why did you use that term? You're not alone. Yeah, well, like like I said earlier, um, everyone has mental health. Everyone. So that doesn't mean everyone is struggling, but it does mean that it, it is something that, that everyone has. So you're not alone. It just means that if you're having a bad day, there's lots of other people having a bad day too. And I know it might feel like lots of times you're the only person going through it, but just being able to know that that this is something that you're not facing by yourself. You can kind of relate to other people and see how, how they have dealt with it and just get some more information to know how you can deal with it specifically. What's the reaction been from other students when they hear you're talking about mental health? You can go um, I, I actually, I haven't had a lot of people under, like knowing that this is something I'm doing. Um, my kind of closer friends all know, and they have been super supportive. Um, another one of my friends actually, um, organized a mental health week at our school, which was really awesome. So we've been kind of like going over different like things that we're both kind of looking at and different resources that we're both outlining. So that's been really good. But yeah, I, I know for me, like uh, my larger community doesn't really know that that's something I've been talking about and, yeah. Anna, if there was something that you could see happen when it came to mental health and youth, and mm-hmm. you could change one thing right now. I would really like to see more education in school specifically, because we try to address it in schools a little bit. I know that in my um, PE class, we had like um, health education. And we kind of touched on the basics, but I felt that it, it really was not what it needed to be. So I know that there's lots of resources out there, but youth aren't always going to go and speak to a counselor or talk to an adult or go to an organization or call a phone number. They're not going to do that by themselves just because there is still stigma around it and they might feel uncomfortable. So I think we need to bring it to the kids so that way they're able to to just have someone to talk to who's there because they might not be wanting to go and seek that out on their own. Ella, part of your job is to get the word out there, the advertising, the, uh, the social media. So here you go. You've got this platform, you've got this forum. What do you want to tell people? What do you want them to know? 
The biggest thing, honestly, is just to outline the resources. Us as teenagers, we can offer peer support, we can offer understanding, but we're never going to be able to give the same kind of help that a licensed therapist or a licensed counselor will be able to. So just outlining those kinds of resources in a affordable and easily accessible way is the best thing we can do for anyone. How can people get in touch with you guys? We are available on Instagram and I think Anna, what else? What's the handle? Yeah, we also, oh, sorry. Um, our Instagram handle is uplan.rm. So the letter U, plan, R, sorry, RN. U, so uplan.rm. .rm, okay. Yes. Yeah. And uh, how else can people get in touch with you? We also have a website. We actually just created a website. One of our awesome Uplan members is super tech savvy. So he helped us create this awesome website. It's, it's um, just getting started, but that is, um, I believe, uplanrm.ca. Okay. And you have a scavenger hunt coming up. What's that for? Yeah. So our scavenger hunt, um, it's, I specifically was not the one to work on that. We had a separate group of some kids working on that, but um, what it's about is just getting kids out in the community and, and not even just kids. And it's um, teenagers and adults and all members of our community. We want them to just get outside and explore our community in a safe way while COVID is happening. Um, but we know that getting outside is so good for your mental health. So we want them to get out there and have fun and do this scavenger hunt with their family and um, explore the community safely. Well, ladies, I, I think this is such an important project, um, not just for youth today, but the adults of tomorrow. Uh, we are in the midst of a mental health crisis. And perhaps if groups like yours existed years ago, we wouldn't be, or at least it wouldn't be as serious. So I wish you all the luck. Any help that I can give you, please let me know. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. So here's the takeaway. Youth, kids, teens, young adults, reach out. Don't carry the burden of stress and anxiety on your own. Kidshelpphone.ca is a great place to start if you're not sure where to start. Adults, one word, listen. If you do this and you do it well, the rest will pretty well fall into place. Next week on The Happy Molecule, hashtag chill. Brian Robinson, best-selling author and psychotherapist out of North Carolina, is asking you for just one simple minute every day to improve your mental health. I've developed something called micro-chillers that are five minutes or less. Uh, because usually when I talk about meditation or being the present moment, especially with my clients, hands go up. Like, I, I, no way, there's no way, I can't do any more. But the truth is the science shows that in five minutes or less, we can be in the present moment, which slows down the heart rate, which boosts the immune system, um, give, uh, gives your fatigue to mind clarity, just has all kinds of benefits. And we can actually see it, uh, which is, I'm a scientist, basically. I want to be able to to know that this is just not hogwash, that it's real. And we can see changes in the brain. That's next time on The Happy Molecule. Join me Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern for The Happy Molecule Extra. That's a live show on my Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages. Until then, 
take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.